Hi everyone, and welcome to the Biz Unplugged Roundtable Discussion for October 10th, 2006. I'm your host and webmaster, Pete Werner, and I'm glad you could join us this week. I am ably joined this week, as every week, by our Orlando team, our site photographer and dedicated discount hunter, Bob Varley, graphic designer and site administrator, Corey Martin, our senior Diz editor and agent manager for Dreams Unlimited Travel, Kevin Close, and of course, Dreams Unlimited President and Chief Information Officer, John Magi. Okay, in this week's show, we're going to tell you uh, what some of the more popular news stories on the Diz were this week. We'll also uh, update you on uh, Epcot's Food and Wine Festival, which is going on until November 12th. John and Kevin are back from their trip to Italy. They're going to update us on their adventures by Disney Vacation, tell us all uh, about what their experiences were. And, of course, we're going to be doing this week's clue for the Diz Unplugged podcast scavenger hunt. So with that out of the way, let's start off with uh, what's in the news this week. We're taking a look now at, uh, at the stories that were most popular on the Diz this past week. So uh, starting out, uh, last week we had mentioned about the robberies that were going on out at Disneyland, that uh, two, what appears to be two different men had uh, held up the uh, parking attendant booth at the parking structure at Disneyland by gunpoint. And uh, Disney has apparently released videotape of the robberies. There is surveillance tape that was taken that uh, they're hoping by releasing it that someone is going to find, report who, who it was that did this. They have not caught the suspects yet, but they do have their images on tape apparently. And uh, the police are releasing those tapes in hopes that someone will recognize and report the robbers. Let's hope it works. I wonder how much money they got. I don't know. You know, they didn't mention. They didn't say what the actual take was. I guess Disney's not anxious to broadcast exactly how much is in those uh, 10 bucks a car I bet you <laughs> exactly some money in that cash it's 11 dollars out there now on the uh, on the east coast on on this side of the uh, on this side of the country second most popular news story this week disney eliminating 125 jobs well not really eliminating them they're cutting 125 cleaning positions and they're outsourcing them they're outsourcing them to a private company but apparently the union is not taking this too well these are jobs that include kitchen cleaning, carpet cleaning, roadway, deep cleaning work. This was reported in the Orlando Sentinel last week. That Disney is also promising the workers that are being cut that they will find them comparable jobs at uh, comparable pay and comparable hours. But do you think this represents, is this the beginning of now outsourcing on a micro, on a micro level? This is not the beginning of it. This is a continuation of it. We saw it with uh, IT. They outsourced their whole IT department last year. But I, IT, I can almost understand, but now are we getting to the point where we're going to be outsourcing the jobs that are normally associated with Disney guest service? I mean, we've seen, uh, you've, everybody's heard me whine about this before, and I'm sure I'm going to whine about it again. The level of service on Disney property stinks, as it, as it, especially as it compared to where it was 10 years ago. It has been a steady, steady slide down. And and now we're going to start outsourcing various departments inside the resorts. So a, a, a another company is going to give the level of service Disney supposedly wants to give. I really think that the whole Disney service concept of what it used to be 10 years ago has been abandoned by that management team. I think now it is just about getting that bottom line down as as tight as it can, giving as little as possible for the most amount of money they can charge. At a company I worked for previous to working for this company, they outsourced the cleaning people, the maids and general cleaning people, and found it to be a disaster. It, it turned around rather quickly. 
the customer satisfaction wasn't there, the guest interaction wasn't there. It just didn't work. And I think what Disney might find is that this also might be the case. Peter, just to mention a couple other things. In the land pavilion, they just updated the the boat ride, and they eliminated the cast member that rides along on the boat ride and gives the commentary. Now they have a commentary when you walk it, ride in on the boat. It's all automated. It's all automated. So I they eliminated tell you, that's that. not necessarily a bad thing. Depending on the attraction. Right. Yeah. I, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I've taken the Kilimanjaro Safari sometime. And the last time we went on the Kilimanjaro Safari at Animal Kingdom, we had a valley girl. And no, she I, said, I those are totally too. lions. <laughs> those are totally <laughs> lions. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's, I think there's uh, at least can be some agreement around the table that there is definitely room for improvement exactly. uh, in the quality and training of the cast members that are being hired at Disney World. And finally, the most popular news story this week, unfortunately, uh, Disney closes Rock and Roller Coaster again last week after a rider fell ill. A 59-year-old man got sick a few hours after riding the coaster. And standard operating procedure for Disney is if anything, any kind of anomaly happens any, uh, on any of the rides, someone gets sick, anything at all happens, they, uh, they shut the ride down. Um, now, from I haven't heard, he was, he was taken to a local hospital, but that was all that was disclosed. So I, I do not believe that uh, he was seriously injured. But, you know, it just kind of comes back to that, that same old, that same warning that we've mentioned numerous times on the site that if, you, you know, sometimes you're going to find out that you have an ailment when you get on these rides. Um, unfortunately, that happens. And uh, I think Disney handles it probably as well as any situation like that could be handled. But, uh, yeah, another, another, another rider has fallen ill after riding Rock and Roller Coaster. You know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen over and over again. It will, you know. The amount of people that come into these parks, I mean. That I just feel, I mean, I mean, it really, there's nothing Disney can do about it. There's no, no fault. It, there's obviously no fault on Disney's part. But I feel, I feel terrible for people who, you know, you, this, you know, you're going to Disney World. You're having this great vacation, and then something like this happens. And give you a lot of signs and things, warnings. Well, no, of course. I mean, I mean, and I think most people who know they have a condition don't go on it. But I think in most of these cases, but you have are people that really didn't realize they had the physical limitation for it. You know, everybody's different, and everybody kind of feels like they know their own body. And and if you've never had any any history of any or any problems, which was really most of the people that end up unfortunately passing away or getting sick on these rides. Um, you, it usually is from an ailment they did not know they had. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's not like pe- I don't think people are necessarily being irresponsible and 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 going and doing this, but it does uh, it does make you take pause and, and ask yourself, you know, is is this really something I can handle? This is this is almost inevitable. How many people get nauseous on the teacups? Yeah, exactly. There's also one other ish- layer in this too. Uh, in this town in Orlando, we have a very hungry media. And as soon as anything happens at Disney, those trucks head down there and they do their live feeds. You know, this man went to the hospital and he felt sick. Two hours later. What does that mean? Where's the debt? Where's the in-depth It could have been a turkey leg. Yeah. Right, exactly. So. Now, before I close the news this week, I do have to uh, uh, issue a correction from last week. I had mentioned an article last week about a young man who had put together a Disney-inspired nighttime show in his backyard. And even though in my notes I had uh, written down uh, the credits for that article, I neglected to mention them when uh, when I, we actually recorded the show. So 
That article was written by uh, Peter Hartlaub of the San Francisco Chronicle, and I'm putting up a correction on our show notes page and also extending my apologies for uh, not making sure I had cited my source uh, uh, more carefully. So I apologize for that and wanted to make sure I got that out of the way. So with that out of the way, we're going to move on and talk about Food and Wine Festival. We had discussed some of that last week. Some people noticed that uh, it didn't really sound like we were at Epcot when we uh, released the show. Uh, I promise you we really were there, and there was a lot of background noise. I'm just really impressed by how well our microphones uh, filtered out all that sound because we, we were sitting. We had, we had picked a place where we thought would be fairly quiet, and there was. I mean, there was a lot of, was a lot of noise. But we weren't yeah. really there. We were really there, and we had a great time. Didn't get to hit everything. I, I know Bob and I... Uh, did go back this week, Corey. Corey did not. But uh, now, Bob, you noticed uh, you you found something really interesting over at uh, at the Turkey Kiosk. I really enjoyed the Turkey Pavilion. I mean, they it's the largest one there, other than Australia, for the booths that set up, and they have a lot of they have a couple of things going on. Uh, they had a calligraphy uh, course. Yeah, Bob brought a uh, Bob brought in an example for uh, all of us in the round table to see. He's going to hold it up as though you people can see it. I'm just going to show it to Kevin and John. No, I got very excited for a minute. I thought you meant they had a whole kiosk dedicated to the food turkey. <laughs> yeah, different flavors and yeah, variations the of the turkey leg. leg. How yeah. to how to cook a turkey leg? Eighteen ways. Mm, looks like chicken. Scratch. But they also had this a person doing a demonstration on some artwork, and he have a, a pan of water is how I can describe it. And in the pan of water, he had dropped colors. And then he made designs in the water, and then he lays a piece of paper for a, about a minute, and then he pulls it off, and that artwork comes out on the paper. <laughs> We're gonna, we have some video that I, we'll be getting up in the next week or so. Yeah, and, there's, uh, a, there's a real backlog in the, in the, in the video department. Uh, but video I did, I right did videotape it, and I videotaped him doing the calligraphy. Also, for, um, for those that don't know, Turkey is new to this year's uh, festival. It's one of the new marketplaces, so it wasn't there last year. Where's that pavilion located? It's right between Morocco and France, closer to Morocco. You know, I was uh, I was over there over the weekend. Walter and I went and did it this time. I, I didn't want to be carrying, like, cameras and stuff. I wanted to go actually enjoy it. And uh, I, I have to tell you, the quality of the food was really, really good this year. Uh, of the stuff that I eat. Now, I'm not a seafood eater, so I can't speak for the seafood offerings, although Walter seemed to enjoy them. But in terms of you know what I would eat, which I think is pretty traditional stuff, really, uh, it was great, great food. Now, I know in past years, it's always been kind of touch and go. Some of the food has been good. Sometimes the food is really not good seems like they put a lot of attention into the quality of the food this year. Just my, my impression. I uh, agree, I, Peter. I, that I, that I, thought, I, I thought really made this year's festival better. But I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to harp on this particular topic, but it was just too evident both occasions going around World Showcase in the last week. The cast members are very nice. They have a great attitude. They are not well-trained. They don't. Half of them didn't know what they were doing. And a lot of the lines that were created, especially on the weekend, were created because of that, because cast members didn't know what they were doing. Um, and it's just, it's just they, they've got this great thing. They could make it perfect if they made sure 
that you know I'm listening to the advice what some of these guys were saying at some of the wine pairings, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This is, I mean, we we joked about it last week, but this is really what's been going on. Is you'll have people say, what's the difference between these wines, and they're saying things like these are red and this is white. Yeah. You're going to have to do a little better than that. Yeah. But obviously, I mean, now the Australian wine walkabout, those guys were trained and taught their wines. You could tell listening to them, they were trained and taught their wines. You're not seeing that in too many other kiosks. Um, you've no. got people you've got people thrown into these kiosks just simply to, to operate them. I remember the one that couldn't even open the wine bottle. Remember that? Yeah. The, the girl. That's right. And then the other wine bottle had the cork pushed in because she couldn't get it she out. She couldn't get it out. Well, I know the uh, American wine tasting adventure is also brand new. I mean, Australia, they've been doing this, um, I think, I don't know how many years well, now. Well, that was where the, the American wine tasting was where the girl, her, her advice on the wine was this is red, this is white. That was yeah. the extent of her, her knowledge on the product. I haven't been this year yet, but I know from, for a fact that a lot of the cast members working in the food and wine are pulled from other locations. So they're pulled from uh, business locations and things like that. So I can see what you're talking about. Well, considering how much people are going to spend going around World Showcase, it might behoove Disney to spend a little time training these people before they throw them in the kiosk. That would be a good idea. Give them some more information about what it is they're going to be serving, um, what it is they're going to be cooking, and I don't know, just just make them generally more uh, more engaging. Uh, I found that. Really and truly, it just that was the least impressive part of the whole experience was dealing with the cast members, and I remember when that used to be the that used to be a big part of the overall experience of being anywhere on Disney property. And again, I keep lamenting about it, but it's one of the things I. It was probably the only downside I I had to point out this year at Food and Wine. Outside of that, really and truly, the quality of the food, the selection of uh, the kiosks that they had that they had this year. Yeah. They had a really good cross section of cultural dishes and I I give it I give it high marks. I give it high marks. I think it was well worth what it cost to go around. You gotta figure you're gonna spend about depending on how many people you're feeding and if anybody's drinking, you're gonna be spending about ten to twelve dollars at each kiosk you stop at. Yeah. Yep. So you know if you don't wanna you might want to have a plan going in which places you like. I can heartily recommend Mexico, Argentina. The pizza in Italy was good. Yep. I and you know uh, Walter was going crazy over the sushi in Japan. So were you yep. guys? You and guys we seemed to too. enjoy that. The soup in Canada, was, of course, was soup. Always, soup. That soup's I'm always a, good. I'm a pushover for that. So, and you know, just falling back to Turkey a, a second. They also had a, a booklet that they were handing out for Turkish cuisine, and they were doing. Uh, cooking demonstrations in the same pavilion. And they also had a person standing out there. There's there's two big towering monuments type things. And just take a minute and talk to the girl that's out there, and she'll explain things about her country and what those monuments mean. It it really is interesting. So And they give you a travel brochure also. So that well, was what made it special. There's for always the tourism aspect. Yeah. No, so I overall, like I said, I, I give uh, I give this year's food and wine uh, very very high marks. Uh, especially, like I said, I went back on Saturday, did a Saturday evening, and I can tell you the the lines. Well, some of the lines were too long to wait on, but for the most part, you really didn't wait more than about ten or fifteen minutes at the most, and quality of everything was great. My only suggestion to people. 
is take a look at the information we have on the site, especially the, we have the menus from each of the kiosks. Get, give yourself an idea of what it is, what kiosk you want to stop at, what food you want to eat. Have a little bit of a plan because you might, you might end up waiting in, in lines you don't want to wait on or waste money that you don't want to waste. And like I said, if each, each stop is going to cost you about 10 or $12 for two people, you might want to have some kind of plan in place so you don't spend all your money doing that. And while we were doing our food and wine excursions around uh, World Showcase, John and Kevin were doing the real World Showcase and their real food and wine festival in Italy. So, guys, you're back. How was it? It was a terrific experience. It really was a once-in-a-lifetime wonderful Exhausting, experience. but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Exhausting, yeah. I, I, I imagine. I imagine. Uh, now, now, you... Let's start at the beginning. You you uh, you flew out on a Wednesday. You flew out of Orlando on a Wednesday. Correct. Uh, connected uh, out of JFK. Correct. And then headed over to Rome. How long were you actually traveling for? Well, we left uh, JFK at six fifty nine at night, and we arrived in Rome at eleven thirty the next morning with a six hour time difference. So we arrived. We left at seven o'clock at night and arrived at five thirty in the morning. So. That's not, a long time. Yeah, right. that's a, a plus a time. plus the travel time from Orlando. So that's a, that's a, that's a full day. Now, did you guys when, as soon as you got off the plane? I mean, did they start the tour, or was there? Did you have the first day to yourselves, and then the tour started the next day? Or no, the 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 first day. As soon as we got off the plane, uh, the Adventure by Disney guides met us. Um, they arranged transportation. We get to the hotel. We had a little bit of downtime, and then that evening was kind of our meet and greet with the other folks on the on the tour, which was really great, getting a chance to meet everybody. But our official sort of touring of the city began the next day. Well, then talk about the about the meet and greet a little bit now. So you're you're in, you're in Italy with how many people were on your tour? Twenty twenty people were on our tour, which is actually kind of small, but we didn't know how many people. But were twenty be people there. you don't know. Twenty people I don't know, and beyond being that sort of you know apprehensive about new people i'm also a little bit shy about speaking in public believe it or not and you know they do this thing where they hand you a microphone and you go around the room and you talk about why you're there and what you're excited about but it was actually very nice and very comfortable it was comfortable i have to tell you that one of the highlights of my trip is the people i got to travel with and i told them if they listened to this podcast i'd give them a clue that it was me and here's my clue gazpacho (laughs) Were there many kids on the tour? There were actually only two kids, and I got to say they were very well behaved. How old were they? Um, nine and eleven. Nine and eleven. It was Tori and AJ. Yep. Happy birthday, Tori! And one of the things that uh, Adventures by Disney did very well was they had planned activities for the kids so that they didn't get bored. Oh, really? Um, one night they had a movie night to themselves uh, while we all had dinner. They did dinner and a movie, so they really. Um, were prepared to have kids on this trip that you might have thought, well, this might be boring to kids. These They were given a book at the beginning of the adventure, and at, while we toured Rome, there was a great deal of history involved, and the kids were given this book that they had to fill in clues, and at the end of filling in all the clues, you took letters from each clue, and it gave you uh, someone's name. Oh. And there was a small prize involved in figuring out who the name was. So they had a task to perform in addition to seeing things that, you know, 
Work. Disney did a terrific so job they, they, keeping they, the kids occupied. They do a good yeah. job with the, with the kids too. Excellent. That was one of my questions. I wondered how that I was going to work this, out. I don't know that I apologize for interrupting. I don't know that this tour would have been good for much younger children. Mm-hmm. I think that would it was a tiring tour. We toured for a long time and walked for great distances. So I'm not sure that much younger would have enjoyed this. Well, you know, your first day in Rome, I know there was a. You mentioned to me earlier there was a, a great deal of walking involved in your first day in Rome. Were you prepared for the activity level of this of this tour? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We had no idea that we were going to be going this far that far for that long. It was just something that we didn't think about. In hindsight, we don't know we could have done it uh, anyone could have done it any different. We saw so many tremendous things and got to experience so much in a short period of time that it required that much walking and that much maneuvering, but we were hurting. Before you guys left, we had talked and joked around a little tongue-in-cheek about some of the security concerns, namely speaking that the Pope had made some rather controversial comments uh, a couple of weeks ago, and there were all sorts of threats and, and issues uh, surrounding the Vatican. Did you guys see any of that? Did you guys have any experience while you were there? That there was a, a, At one point in Rome, there was a, a very heightened sense of security. There was also a military presence. We actually tried to take a cab to the Pantheon and couldn't get anywhere near it. The Pantheon is not far from the Vatican, and I don't know that one is involved in the other. But yeah, there was some heightened uh, police presence in Rome while we were there. John and I blithely walked through it without any concern or any um, negative effects. I never for a second felt unsafe or threatened. That's very important. Oh, I know y'all were um, y'all were with the group. Do y'all really uh, did y'all get a chance to really explore um, different dining areas, or was everything on a schedule? We had a couple of free meals on our own. Uh, Disney provided most of the meals, but there were a couple of uh, there was maybe two dinners and two lunches that we were allowed to go and do our own. And we found that when we were in the touristy areas, the price was very expensive, and the food actually wasn't that good. Um, when we were a little bit more adventuresome and we, we went down an alleyway and walked away from the tourist areas, we found the food to be reasonable and much better than... We found that if we ate in places that we think the locals would have eaten in, the food was much less expensive, and but it wasn't fancy food. It was more stuff that we would eat on a normal day-to-day basis as opposed to a going-out-to-dinner experience. It's definitely the kind of place that the more you get away from the tourist area, yeah. the better off you are and the less you pay. It was also a friendlier environment. Now, Kevin, one of the things you had talked about that you had mentioned were, was one of the things you were really looking forward to the most was going to the Vatican. What, is, what was your overall impression coming away from that? The Sistine Chapel is breathtaking and awe-inspiring. The the negative thing I would say is that you seem to when you enter the Vatican, there's so much to see. It's the largest art collection in the world mm. that there's so much that you kind of glaze over. That after you've you know you've seen what would be a masterpiece, if it was set off by itself, it would be a masterpiece in any location. Right. However, when there's one right after another, it's it's kind of hard to take all that in. The getting to the Sistine Chapel, the Sistine Chapel was not what I expected, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It didn't disappoint me. I expected it to be more of like a standalone church. It's actually an interior room, and mm. the best way I can tell you is that you stand and you crane your neck trying to take in every detail. 
had I had the opportunity to lay on the floor of the Sistine Chapel for three or four hours, it wouldn't have been enough time. Mm. There's so much to see and so much to look at. A helpful hint, we watched other tourists carrying hand mirrors. So instead of walking around with a sore neck, you uh, focus the hand mirror on the ceiling and look down into the hand mirror. They looked much more comfortable that than makes I was. So much more sense. And you know, I, it's such a brilliant and simple idea. I can't believe that yeah, they're not like selling them outside the. Yeah, exactly. I can't believe they're not selling them. Let's talk about about your accommodations a little bit. Not just in Rome. You know, you they they're billed as five star accommodations. Basically, the best the best each of these cities has to offer. Did you consider that the places you were staying were? as top-notch as you were led to believe they would be? I felt that the uh, the hotel in Rome and the hotel in Venice were definitely five-star. Location-wise, amenity-wise, service-wise, everything was really great. Of course, there were you know issues with you know style and, and things like that, that when some things we're not really used to. A little, hotel. Ga- little gaudy. little gaudy. <laughs> hotel the hotel in-, in Rome was a little glitzy. It was like <laughs> very Las Vegas. It was... Las Vegas, Liberace, Siegfried, and Roy. There was gold gilt, and I had three chandeliers in the bathroom. I said, that's in the bathroom? In the bathroom. Wow. The the hotel in Tuscany, while it was it didn't offer five star amenities, this was a medieval hamlet that a couple is renovating. So when you think of the fact that you got to stay in centuries old uh, stone buildings that were at one time a very small village. It, while it wasn't five-star amenity, it was an experience to be had. And John and I ran into a small difficulty with our accommodations when we first got to Tuscany. Um, believe it or not, we were in a small stone building that we were actually too tall for. It was, I've described it as the dwarf's cottage from Snow White. Well, you also have to, you know, take this imagery into account that, you know, John stands about six foot three. Kevin, I believe, around six foot five. When I hit stood up, I hit my head on the beams. If I went to the front door of our little dwarf's cottage, the the top of the door came to about my eyebrows. So I literally had to crouch to get out. <laughs> Luckily, there was another couple on our tour who weren't con- completely happy with their accommodations. We met in the lobby, and what we did was we switched accommodations, and eventually everybody was just thrilled. The other thing is that... Um, you know, it's it's never like being home. So, you know, the room is never exactly as cold as we want it to be, and the bed is never as comfortable as your bed at home. But Disney does a really good job of picking out some very nice accommodations and making sure that, you know, we were comfortable the whole time. Always asking us, how is your room? Is it set up right? Is it the way you want it? Is there anything we can do to make it better? So I there was – it was our – our comfort was always a consideration. Well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the Disney aspect of it for a second. Now, of course, you know Italy is Italy. It's not owned by Disney, so there's only so much of the experience that they can control. How much of what we know and expect of Disney did you feel on this trip? I actually found that, the, in my opinion, they did everything they could to give you a Disney experience. There were some experiences throughout the trip that average travelers can't experience. In Siena, we got to a visit a museum that's not open to the public. It was opened because of the Disney name. Mm-hmm. That name does open a lot of doors it, all over the world. It did. And I have to tell you, if you want to listen to the other part of this podcast, there is we go into a lot more detail about this. But... It was a fascinating thing that none of us would have ever seen or known about. And now I feel like I'm part of a secret. 
I, I, so that that Disney experience, there are some cultural differences in Italy that Disney just can't overcome. I'm from the United States, and I like a lot of ice in my drink. Think a big gulp, about half full. Ice is not a common thing in Italy. This is amazing to me. Drinks are served either cool or pretty much at room temperature. Ordering ice, you felt like an outsider. So there were some cultural things like that. We also had a couple of restroom issues. Restrooms are not the priority they are here in the United States, other than the three chandeliers in my hotel bathroom. Um, finding a complete restroom was often an issue. Some of the amenities that you would consider a part of an average bathroom might be missing. Things like the toilet seat or toilet paper or soap or towels or a lock on the door. Uh Um, those kind of things are cultural differences that you just take for granted when you come from here. And those are things that Disney can't control. The things that Disney could control, they, they did a very good job of. Um, we, when we walked as a group, our leader held up a sign and the sign said adventures by Disney on it. So we knew we were all traveling together and heads would turn. People would whisper. People would Murmurs point. would go through the crowd Look, when you were in a crowd. Disney, Disney, Disney. Disney. Our, oh, that's funny. Our it guides, was. through every city they walked in, they had their Disney name tags on. So they always represented Disney wherever they went. Now, you know, having come from the Disney culture and having experienced Disney on all sorts of levels, there were times when I felt the guides weren't 100% Disney cast members. And we had found out that they're actually um, uh, seasonal employees. Mm. They're not full-time cast members. So they seem to be working towards that. They're looking very – they wanted to know our opinions on what we thought. What could they do better? They were looking to improve. They want to become permanent Disney employees and hold these positions. They love what they do, and you can see it. And at certain times when things, I think, were frustrating and at their most level, uh, most uh, heightened level, you know, you saw them break down every once in a while. Mm -hmm. So – you know, it was sort of the not quite, you know, the Disney super person that right. they want to portray. and But understandably so. I mean, they're herding a bunch of, tw- you know, 20 people around to, to different places and different personalities and trying to keep us all together. It's, it was understandable that they had issues and challenges. On the other hand, we watched them do Herculean things. Right. We were in Florence, and we almost didn't get to see the Statue of David, which was one of my great desires was to see Michelangelo's David. And the day we arrived at the Academia, the museum that holds David, there was a uh, strike of museum workers. Mm. So we were very disappointed. We didn't think we were going to get in. One of our tour guides pretty much camped out in a very crowded street, bucking for us to get in, and called us as we were across the city of Florence. And we hustled our way back. And I have to tell you, through a great deal of effort, we were muscled into this museum. And I truly believe it was because they saw the disappointment on their faces. Had we just sort of rolled our eyes and went, whatever, we might not have done this. Because of the fact that we voiced the desire to see this, we watched them work above and beyond what was actually required of them to help us fulfill this. And I have to give them absolute credit for that. I do believe it was things that they did that got us into this museum. So I have to thank them for that. I've already thanked them in person, but I'd like to thank them again here. Now, what what uh, for each of you? What would you if you had to take away one thing that you thought was was the highlight of your trip? What what would it be? For me, the the highlight was definitely seeing Venice. Um, 
Disney did a great job of doing something that Disney does very well, in my opinion. They left the fireworks to the end. They mm-hmm. left the spectacle to the end. And after this long, tiring, but wonderful journey, the last thing you get to see is the city of Venice, which was just magical, beyond words. I would have to say it was the city of Florence. I loved Venice. Venice was magical. However, Florence was everything I had hoped and wanted Italy to be. It was warm. I found the people friendly. I found the streets walkable. I found everything I wanted Italy, everything I wanted was there. Now, it's it goes without saying, as with any Disney vacation, that an Adventures by Disney vacation is certainly not inexpensive. You can expect uh, these these vacations to run anywhere from three to twenty two two to three thousand dollars a person, if not higher. That's without airfare. That's without your airfare. So let's ask the sixty four thousand dollar question: Is it worth it? Above and beyond. Really. Above and beyond. I go back to that little museum in Siena that's not open to the public. Yeah. And getting to see that. Um, the wow factor. Yeah. Disney opens doors and leaves you with things that you didn't even know you wanted. Our last night was spent on a pirate ship. We expected a certain cheese factor involved in this. Oh, sure. The minute you hear pirate ship, right. of course. I don't... You know, are they capitalizing on the Pirates of the Caribbean? Is this going to be some scow that they've decorated with a skull and crossbones? We walked along the Grand Canal in Venice to a 16th century pirate ship. In Venice, scurvy, scummy pirates came out of the woodwork and stuck guns in our back and went, board the ship. And unreal. I have to tell you, the looks of the people's faces on the, the, the street where we were boarding the ship, you could the envy was palpable. This How do exclusive? I get on it? This was only for Disney, and only Disney has the right to do it. We set sail on a four-hour moonlight sail through the Venice Lagoon. Our dinner was served. Uh, There was dining and dancing. Just tell me you have pictures and video. We do. We do. We do. do. So to answer your question without giving you any more detail is, yes, there's a great deal of added value that is not provided could you do a similar trip for less money? Sure, you could. And we asked the people we were traveling with, have any of you done a trip before? And one lady expressed that she had done a trip last year where they rode on a bus and the bus driver pointed to stuff. At no point did the bus driver point to stuff. We were allowed to touch it, see it, taste it, try it on, walk it, understand it, ask questions about it. it, it you always felt like you were immersed yeah. So, yeah, I see where there's a great deal of value involved in it. And I think if anybody wanted to hear about it, I'd be happy to tell them about it. So it sounds like you guys had, had an awesome time. I would recommend this to anybody who would want, thinks they might want to do it. Absolutely. And uh, there, uh, now there is a special booking uh, incentive by early December, am I correct? Please, 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 if you're thinking about doing this next year, book before December 2nd. There is a huge early booking discount. If you're looking to travel in value season and you're looking for double occupancy, you can each get a $500 booking discount if you book before December 2nd. If you're interested, please contact me. I'll be happy to help you at abd at wdwinfo.com. Please just write to me. I'm Kevin. It's a great way to save some money. And uh, now, for those listening, uh, this has just been kind of like a summary of John and Kevin's trip. Uh, There is a great deal more detail uh, that we have 
and we're making available as a separate download. That will be available sometime in the next couple of days. Uh, there's some post-production that I need to do with that, and I want to make sure that we get all the detail of that trip. We can only cover so much of it during during this show, uh, during the actual show, but there's uh, so much uh, so much detail about some of their experiences in, in these various places that you're, you're really, really going to want to hear. And uh, we, can't, uh, we can't forget about the, the photos that they've taken. Uh, we are working. We're going to work diligently to make sure that the photo gallery is up at the same time that this uh, this podcast goes live. We can't. We can't promise that. We can't promise that. But uh, if not, if it's not up, if it's not up with the podcast, it will be up uh, within the next couple of days, and uh, we'll have some video in the next couple of weeks as well. John, I think, took quite a bit of video, which I'm going to have to uh, go through and edit. And I took six one-hour tapes. Oh. They were taking to calling him Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, it was great. It was great uh, uh, sharing it with you uh, vicariously and hearing about it. And I'm glad you had a great time. I really got to go. Thanks. And that brings us to this week's challenge for the Diz Unplugged scavenger hunt. Now, uh, each week we're going to give you clues, the answers to which can be found somewhere on one of three websites, either our discussion forums, disboards.com, one of the previous episodes of The Diz Unplugged, on dreamsunlimitedtravel.com, or on wdwinfo.com. That's actually four places, not three. <laughs> and uh, they're going to vary in difficulty from week to week. We're going to tell you uh, what, uh, we're going to give you the clues. You've got to go find them. Do not send your answers in until the end of the contest, which will be after our November 7th show. So we don't we, we don't want you to send anything in now. Just go ahead and save your answers up each week. And on November 7th, after the November 7th challenge, you'll be able to submit all your answers. And we will randomly select one winner from all the right answers that uh, we receive to win a four-night cruise on board the Disney Wonder. And that cruise will be awarded on our November 21st show, which is right before Thanksgiving. So we thought that's a, a nice way to go into the holidays there. So... Here we go with this week's uh, with this week's challenge. Since we talked about food quite a bit the last two weeks, we thought we would make this week's challenge a food-related challenge. Now, we're going to tell you what we would like to eat for dinner at Disney restaurants, at m many of the Disney restaurants around property. You have to tell us what restaurant serves this item and how much it is. We're going to start with our appetizer, Olives Classico Flatbread. Olives Classico flatbread. For salad, a chinois chicken salad. Chinois spelled C-H-I-N-O-I-S, chicken salad. Our main, our main course is a maize-crusted and seared Pacific halibut. For dessert, a tie-dye cheesecake. And for a specialty drink, a sunken treasure. Now, you need to go find on our website and our website only because that's where we're considering the right answers to come from. If you get this information anywhere else and it differs from what we have on the site, your answer will be considered incorrect. These answers must come from www.info.com, disboards.com, dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. But I can tell you that the answers for all of this week's uh, challenge are, are found on www.info.com. So... Good hunting, folks. Happy hunting. And uh, that's your challenge this week. Good luck.
And that will wrap it up for this week's edition of the Diz Unplug Roundtable. We all appreciate that you joined us, and we hope you enjoyed the show. And we will, of course, be back next Tuesday with another edition of the Diz Unplugged Roundtable discussion. Until then, you have a great week.